Hey, if you are new, uh, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad you're worshiping with us. If you're here in the room or joining us online, either way, really glad that you're here. Um, we are finishing up a series in the Fruit of the Spirit. Really enjoyed kind of going through this with you guys, and you know, Brad kicked us off, and then Mark. It's been a, a good series. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to I encourage you to go check it out. It's kind of we talked about kind of some of the overarching things that I think are really important. But also at the beginning, we kind of gave a bit of a finance business update, kind of some things that are going on at the church that I think that are really important for you to know. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and at a minimum, just kind of watch that so you can kind of be in the loop, some things that are going on here at the church. And to kind of get you uh, up to date, a little bit of stuff's going on in our lives. You know, we got, we got three daughters, Maylee, Lauren, and Layla. They're 24, 21, and 10. And our 21-year-old, who's a senior at the U of A this fall, uh, she just moved out. We moved her into a rent house that's fairly new to campus. She'd been living with us for the summer. And then almost immediately, kind of like a little traffic flow thing, our oldest daughter, Maylee, who's 24, uh, who is in grad school at John Brown, she, her rent house, uh, she had to move out at this day, but where she's moving, there's kind of a, a gap there. So she's hanging with us for a week, which is really cool. Love having her there. And last night we're hanging out. It's, it's my wife, Heidi, and I, and Maylee. And um, Heidi does this thing that she does with everybody. She probably, she probably says this at least a dozen times a day to everybody she knows. She probably said it to some of you. Maylee's coughing or whatever. And she said, hey, you need to drink some water. Uh, you know you've arrived with my, Heidi. Like she told you to drink water. So she, hey, you need to drink some water. You need to drink some water. And Maylee kind of gets this look like that's not going to happen. But it says like, you know, I think I'm going to have another LaCroix. And she kind of gets this little suspicious-y kind of look on her face. Like, I'm going to have another LaCroix, though, which doesn't count as drinking water in, in Heidi's book. So I'm going to say a conflict arose, but there was some discussion. But then she goes, you know, there's something in these LaCroix. There's something, there's some addictive something that they put in it. And then to which then I made the smart remark, well, it's not the taste, obviously. And so then we have a little, little skirmish. I was a little skirmish about that. I said, no, no, seriously, there's just something. He's like, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. In my house, I would put three LaCroix in my refrigerator, as they'd be called. And I would drink, I would drink three LaCroix every night. To which then the water drinking wife next to me is like, you're drinking three LaCroix a night? Which is not the point of the story. He's like, no, you don't, you, don't under, you don't understand. You don't understand. I put three LaCroix in the fridge so they'll be cold so I can have them that night. And then all the rest of them I put in this hot, dusty spot in the garage. So then after I drink my three and I want a fourth and I can't have it, I know I'm not going to have one because I'm not going to drink some hot, dusty one that's in, in the garage. And then all of a sudden she's telling this story and all of a sudden she kind of gets this look on her face. She's like, oh no. I'm like, what? Because she and I had had an earlier conversation that day where she had asked me what I was preaching about today and I had told her we're talking about self-control. And she says, you're going you're gonna to talk about this, aren't you? And I said, I wasn't, but now that you've brought it up, I feel, I feel like I must. I feel like I must. I feel like I must bring this up. And so here we are. And um, she's here right now. You can wave at her if you like. Um, and so we're just talking about this, this, this idea of like the things that we have to do. Like, how, how can I, how can I self-draw? Like, there's, there's things I want to do. There's things I want to indulge in. There's things that I want. How can I put, how can I have kind of really good limits and controls on my, on my, on my behavior, right? And so she's structuring this thing around the LaCroix. So she drinks what, at least what she believes is a moderate amount of LaCroix, and she and her mom can continue to debate this if they would like. 
right? And so we're talking about this in the fruit of the Spirit, that, that, that there's this work that, the, that, that God is wanting to do inside of us. Not to just change our behavior, not to just make us there where we don't do certain things, but to do this inner work in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that God is wanting to do an inner work in us. Again, not behavior modification, not just you got to do the right thing, but God's wanting to do something inside of us. And it's something that the spirit is going to do. And we're wrapping up today by talking about the last two, gentleness and self-control. And gentleness is a bit of a subset of self-control. Gentleness is a little bit like I'm going to, I'm a a little self-control around people. It's a little bit like that. So we're going to start just kind of by defining these words. And, um, and these aren't technical definitions. They're just kind of working functional definitions to kind of help us together kind of know what we're talking about. And we'll start with gentleness. And gentleness, we'll say it this way, is, is treating someone with just like just the appropriate amount of pressure. I'm not going to be too harsh. I'm not going to be too soft. And so there's, a, there's, a pro, there's some sort of problem. Either they are doing something that they shouldn't or they are hurting you in some way. There's some sort of argument. And I, I have to respond in some way. And so I might respond by just avoiding it altogether. I'm, I'm just going to avoid the conflict altogether, which is, which is too soft. Or I might lash out, which is too harsh. But regardless, like, I need to find a way, like how do I treat this person with the appropriate amount of care? And so there's all sorts of little pastor illustrations that pastors like to use. You may have heard me use some of them. Like you're move, it's moving day and there's something in your home that's incredibly fragile, but is also of great value. And how you, how you hold that matters. Like if I, if I hold it too loosely, like I'm just too careful with it, I could drop it and it will break. If I am too, if I hold it too tight, I, I, I might be the one that, that breaks it. And, you know, a newborn baby, the same, the same kind of deal where, you know, especially like a, like a brand new mom or dad, like I'm a big, I, 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 love, I love holding babies. Uh, it was weird for a while. I think it's not weird anymore when I act like this because I, I give off grandpa energy, even though I'm not a grandpa. Like, it's okay for grandpas to, be, to like little babies, right? So it's not weird anymore. So I, li- I like, I, I love to hold little babies. They're just, they're just precious. But if it's like a brand new mom, like first time mom, or first time dad, and they're, they're, they're just a little, they don't, they, 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 like they're worried that they're gonna, like maybe I'm gonna drop it or they're gonna, like the handoff is really awkward. I'm, I'm thinking like, bro, I got this. I'm an expert. I, I got this. I, w- I will not drop your baby. I will, I will handle it with the proper care. I will, I will not drop the baby and I will not hurt the baby. I will, I will hold it to protect it. The same way with people's hearts. Like I, I, need, I need to be careful. I need to be thoughtful in the way that I am dealing with this person in their heart. This is someone, I could, I could break them. I could be too casual and hurt them, or I could be too harsh and I could break them. And if you've got kids or you're ever around kids, I mean, they give you opportunities all the, ta- all the time to test whether or not you can be gentle. Um, Layla gave me a few yesterday. I will not bring them up because she's actually getting into that really awkward age where stories about her on stage do not land well. She doesn't like, oh, dad, did you talk about me today? She didn't like that. But anyway, she gives me opportunities to kind of, you know, she'll, she'll say something, she'll do something, she'll start some sort of fight. 
And then I, I feel like I just kind of vacillate back and forth between I'm just going to avoid it, pretend like it's not happening. And then, okay, now I finally got to say something and it comes out too strong. But just to kind of figure out, like, as I'm trying to mold and shape this precious young girl that I can come in with the right amount of gentleness and with, with my wife, with my friends. Because we come to each other and, and, we, and we do stupid things and, and, we, and we, we're hurting ourselves or we're hurting other people. And I need to help. I can't pretend like what you're doing is okay, but I want to crush you. And so we learn this discipline of gentleness. But again, I feel like this is kind of a bit of a subset of self-control. Can I, given the opportunity, can I choose to do the right thing? I have, this, I have this part of me that wants to avoid conflict, and I don't want to do that. I have this thing that makes me want to fight, and I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, choose, I want to be able to choose the right thing. And so when we talk about self-control, we'll just, again, this isn't a definition. This is just, just kind of put it out there. Not doing the bad thing that you want to do. So self-control is like, I'm in a situation my heart, my gut, my instinct, this thing in me, I want to do this, but it's not the right thing to do. Can I in that moment choose not to? Can I in that moment to choose the right thing or to at a minimum avoid this bad thing? Do I have the ability to control myself? I have this instinct, I have this desire, and I choose not to act on it. Now, as we think about this, as you think about how I learn to kind of manage and control my desires, there is kind of a decision grid out there that is in parts of culture that I think are really important for us to just kind of process. Because there's this idea out there that if I have this desire and it is natural to me and the thing that I want to do I, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want to do it. I want to do it. If it's natural and I want it, then it's okay. Then I can just do it. That's not everywhere, but it's out there. And, I, and I honestly, I think when I hear that, it's like, well, it's very natural. It's very natural. It's, it's who I am. And so I do this because it's who I am. And I think, I, mean, do we, I don't know. Oh, surely people don't really genuinely believe this. Certainly not in everything. Either that or I'm just an infinitely worse person than everyone else, right? I have lots of instincts that are part of who I am and I want to do it. Like, I joke about this, but it's real. Like, who I am, like who I am, it comes out in traffic. It comes out at a stoplight that's turned green. It comes out when you pull out in front of me. I mean, Things, I mean, I hate to say this. I mean, I would never say that to a real person that was standing next to me, the things that comes out of my mouth. Like, that ain't, that's not good. I have instincts that I'm not gonna be like, oh, that's not who I am. Like, ah, angry guy, man, he's, he's in there, he's real. And he, and he needs to be managed. I mean, whatever self-control means, I, I need some of that. Like, I have lots of instincts that are not particularly healthy, and there's lots of things that are instincts that I have and desires that I have that are not healthy. And so we need, I would say, we need a different grid for this. And this idea is actually not a new one. This is not, this is not some new idea out there of just kind of how we figure out how to make this decision. Actually, Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's dealing with an issue, the specifics of it, which are kind of weird to us, but the, the, the principles, I think, are really important. The thing that they're dealing with is, let's say you, you go out in the market, there's people that they, they, they take this meat and they sacrifice it to their idols, these, these false gods. But now I've, now I've got this meat. And so we can eat it. Maybe, maybe they're selling it. You can, buy, you can buy meat that's been sacrificed to idols or you can go to someone's house who sacrifices meat to idols and eat that with them. It's like, is, is that okay? Is that okay to do? And they're having this kind of debate about it. And the kind of the debate goes back and forth between, bro, you can just kind of do whatever you want. Stuff like that doesn't matter. Just, just do whatever you want. Versus like, no, man, you got to really think about these kind of things. Like rules matter. You got to follow the rules. And that, just, that doesn't feel right. And they're having this sort of debate, which is not, we may not be talking about that anymore. We may not know anybody who's sacrificing food to idols. But this is a debate that continues in Christian culture right now between this idea of I can, I can do whatever I want. It's like, bro, no, you got to follow all the rules to the, to the smallest degree. And so ha- they're having this debate, and it starts, it starts with this in verse 23, where, where Paul quoting them says, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. This is what people say. And again, this is not 1 Americans chapter 10. This is 1 Corinthians. But this is what we say. And I don't care what political party you're a part of. I don't care what the issue is. We have, I'm going to say, offend everybody, we have an unhealthy obsession about what I have the right to do. Well, I have the right to do that. I have the right to do it. I want to do it. Therefore, I do it. Without any consideration of anything remote, like to what is moral, what is for the good of everyone, I have the right. It is my right. And this is what he's dealing with right here. You're sitting here saying, this is what he says, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say. And then Paul says this. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. And so just very much in there, we kind of got this very different grid that Paul is giving us to kind of make decisions about this, this impulse, this desire I have. I want, I want to do this thing. It feels natural. I want to do it. I want it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And Paul gives a different grid. It's like you say this, like, I, I, like you have the freedom, like you have the right, you can do anything. But have you considered these other ideas? And here's the, here's the way that I want to say it. Is that if we really want to grow in self-control, we need to embrace being thoughtful. Because what Paul is saying here is there, there are more things for you to consider about whether or not this is something that you should do. Whether or not this should be a part of your life beyond just simply, I have the right to do it. Something just a little bit deeper goes a little bit further than, than I want it. And so he's got some really good ones here. He's got some really good ones. There's actually three that he kind of just mentions, right? Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? Is it going to produce good results? Is it ultimately going to be good for you? Is it, is it beneficial? Like, I think our, 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 our thinking often gets very, very short term. I, 
I want to eat it. And so I eat it and I feel good for three minutes. And I don't think about 30 minutes. I don't think about the next day. I don't think about what the habit of doing this does to me. I'm going to watch this three-minute online video and it's going to make me feel good during that three minutes. And that's why I think it's good, but it's, but it's not good. What comes after it is worse. What it's doing to me is worse. This is not beneficial for me. This is not for my good, indulging in this thing. It's not for my good. And then he says, you say you can do anything, but is it constructive? Which they're very similar, but they're just different enough where I think it's important. Is this going to be good for me? Is it constructive? Is it helping me build the thing that I'm trying to build? I'm trying to build a life for myself. I'm trying to build, I'm trying to become someone. There is a man, there is a woman that I want to become. There's a life that I imagine that I'm going to have, who I'm going to be, and the way that my life is going to look. Does me indulging in this help me build that thing? Is it constructive or destructive to the, to the life that I feel like that God is calling me to have, the life that I want to have? Because we all imagine ourselves, I'm right here in my life. And I think, depending on how old you are, you may have different ideas about what long-term means, like who I want to be in three years, who I want to be in five years, who I want to be in 10 years, who I want to be in 20 years, who I want to be. And we imagine who this is. And this is what I, is this thing that I'm doing is this going to help me get there? Is it constructive? Or is this one of those off-ramps in life that will actually in- prohibit me from being able to become that person? And I think it is really important for us to think about this. I, I, I mentioned this a, a couple weeks ago. Some of you may, may, have, may have been here when I heard it, but I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to hang out in Orlando with some different groups of fairly young, recent graduates who've just kind of started out in Christian ministry, kind of in a profession. And I have this opportunity from time to time, I serve on the board of a ministry, and I have this opportunity to interact with different people, both in this org and in other orgs. And the older I get, the more questions I get from them are a lot like this. Because you know, you, know, you got to understand, if you're meeting with recent college graduates, they're always the same age. They're always 22 to 24. They're the same age. I'm getting older. Right? So I'm getting older, they're staying the same age. So just the, the gap between me and them just gets larger and larger. And now most of the questions, they don't phrase it this way, but this is what I'm hearing. We're young and in ministry. We someday want to be old and in ministry. How do we get to be old and, be, and still be in ministry? Which is like, okay, so you're old. How do we get to, how do you, okay, so got it, got it, I'm old. And the thing that I kept saying to them, and then I say it to you, the more and more experience that I have and the more stories that I hear and the more people that I watch, the biggest off-ramps in people's lives between who I am now and who I want to be revolve around sex and money. And if we are going to ultimately become the men and women that God have called us to be, I'm going to have to get my life, my heart, and my mind right around these two things. I mean, just think about it. Think about people that you used to admire, organizations that you used to admire, or organizations that are supposed to be doing good, churches that are supposed to be doing good, people who are hailed as heroes, and then suddenly something goes horribly wrong. What is it always? It is always sex and money. Those are always the, those are the things that derail. And usually it comes 
very often it comes from just, just an overindulgence in those things. I'm just going to indulge in sex however I feel. And I'm going to do, and I'm going to do damage to people. I'm going to do damage to myself. I'm going to do damage to my family. And boom, it's an off-ramp. But that's not the only sex off-ramp, especially for Christians, because very often we can bring a lot of shame to this issue. Then I'm very shameful of it. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm afraid of that God has made me sexual and, and my youth group and my college group and the pastor, they're always talking about how sex is bad and sex is bad. And so now I think about it as bad all the time. And then that shame, that undoes you because very often shame leads again to the indulgence or you're just feeling some anxiety and fear about it. And money's the same thing. I want, I want, I want, I take, I take, I take. And then we cross the line. Or we become so unhealthily obsessed with it, even if we're not trying to get more, we just have an unhealthy perspective on it. And it just, it breaks up marriages. It, it, it adds too much stress. And then it just, it just undoes you. And I think these two things more than any other just kind of represent this idea of, I, I feel it. I want it. I take it. That's killing us. Because very often the things that we're doing, they're not beneficial. They're not constructive. And the last thing he says, no one should seek their own but the good of others. It's not helping anybody else either. It's not good for me. It's not helping me build the life that I want. I'm not doing any good for other people. This, this, just, isn't, this just isn't working. Now again, food, other vices, there are lots of things out there that are derailing us. And whatever it is, I got to get my heart and my mind right about it. And then Paul kind of goes on here in this passage about, about this, the food to idols. And basically, he kind of comes to this kind of middle spot where he's kind of like, you know, if it really, really bothers somebody, you definitely shouldn't do it around them. You shouldn't, even if you have the freedom to do it, you shouldn't do it if you know it's going to hurt somebody else. You absolutely shouldn't. And so you just need to be real thoughtful about the decision that you make. And then he wraps it up here with verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. So whether you choose to do something or you choose not to do something, food, drink, anything else, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Which is kind of a vague, very spiritually sounding phrase. So let me just say it differently to you. Does this bring God glory? Does this thing that I'm doing, is it reflect his character well? And is it bringing more light to a dark world? We can all agree that we live in a dark world right now. Is this thing that I'm doing, is it bringing more light to this dark world by reflecting who God is? Or am I bringing more darkness into this world by doing this? Is this beneficial? Is this good for me? Is it constructive? Is it helping me build is this good for other people? Is this bringing God's light and his glory into this world? These are the kinds of thoughtful questions that we need to be asking before we indulge in something beyond just simply, it's natural and I want it. Now, here's the thing that I do. Here's the thing that I do. I had all this together. I had all these ideas. I put them all together. I looked it down. I'm kind of going through it. I'm like, man, this is really good. I really like this. I think it's going to be kind of a little punchy. And it, but, it's gonna, it's, but then I was just like, man, 
I, I had this thought, and this is what I try to do. I was like, I try to imagine I'm sitting out there in the audience hearing this, and I'm really struggling in the area of self-control, and I hear all of this. And this question popped into my mind, this idea popped into my mind. So I'm just going to read to you exactly what I wrote here. So this is, this is coming from you. Bro, it says it right here, bro, bro. If I could ask these questions, if I could stop and ask these questions, that means I already have self-control. The things that you're saying, they sound really, really good, but those are the kinds of things that someone who already has self-control can do. I, 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 am, I, 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 just, I just act, I just do. And so as I think about that, I, I got a couple things. The first one is this. Sometimes you have to put the LaCroix in the garage. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you just gotta put the LaCroix in the garage. I mean, you just have to, I have to put some healthy boundaries around me to help. I have to separate myself from this thing in some way to kind of make it a little bit harder for me to get there. I have to set some good, healthy boundaries in my life. I need some help. I need some accountability. I need some people around me to ask good questions of me. I need, I need to bring some structure and discipline to my life in order to get there. Now, too often, I think when Christians talk about this, we start straight with this. Hey, if you want to have more self-control, you need to make sure that you're putting up good fences and good boundaries. You need to put blockers on your computer. You put blockers on your phone. You need to have somebody who's asking you these questions. All that. These are the things that you need to do. But too often, that's just what we do, and then we indulge anyway, and we think, well, why did, why did those things fail me? Those things failed me. I was supposed to set boundaries and have people, and those things failed me, and I still did it. These are, these are helps. These are tools for a heart that really desires self-control. I really want to overcome this. This is an acknowledgement of my weakness. I need a little bit of help. I'm going to put these structures in here to kind of make it just a little bit more difficult for me to indulge. But really, my heart, my desire is to be different. Because these, be, these things can be really good helps, can be really good supports. But there is no, there's nothing that you can put on your computer that you don't know how to get around. There aren't enough blocks on all of the devices that you have access to in the world to keep you from indulging in something that you don't want, that you want to indulge in. And there's no amount of questions that you can ask them. It's got to come from a different place. And this is why it's important for us to end this way. What is this passage in Galatians that we've been talking about? What is it called? It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is very important for us to remember that really at its core, this is a work that the Holy Spirit is going to do. And so we're going to kind of put these two ideas together because they're a little, I don't want to say contradictory, but they're very different. This idea of self-control and spirit-led. Because if the Spirit is going to do it, I need to let the Spirit lead me. I need to let the Spirit do this work in my life so that I can learn to control myself. Well, I don't, well I'm, I'm giving up control to the Holy Spirit, it's kind, of, it's kind of, is it something the Spirit is doing or is this something that I'm doing? And the answer to that question is always yes. Is it something the Spirit's doing? Yes. Is it something I'm doing? Yes. 
Yes, it, it is, because these two things, they feed each other. The more that I allow the Spirit to do a work inside of me, then the fruit of the Spirit comes out and the more self-control that I have. And the less I indulge and the less I go down this path that is breaking me and wrecking me, the stronger the voice of the Spirit is in my life. And the stronger the voice of the Spirit is in my life, the more self-control that I have. But most of us are in a very different cycle than that, which is I feel a lot of shame. People have hurt me. People have done things to me. There's disappointment in my life and my life isn't what I want it to be. And so I'm going to indulge in this thing that I believe is gonna bring me a moment of pleasure. But then that moment of pleasure turns into shame. And then I start to feel really terrible about myself. And if I feel terrible about myself, I might as well indulge in this thing that is gonna bring me two minutes of relief that makes me feel more and more ashamed. And I'm cycling out of control and taking one of these off ramps from the life that God has called me to. So I need to choose to let the Holy Spirit do a work in my life so that then I can have the self-control that I need that then allows me to give the Spirit a louder voice in my life rather than this kind of indulged shame cycle that so many of us are in. Now, there's a critique out there of churches like ours that will put you belong on the, um, on the outside of the building. They basically have an attitude that says, man, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, we are going to love you. There's a critique of that that somehow a church like that doesn't take sin seriously enough. And I'm not here to necessarily answer that critique, but just to kind of put the idea out there. Because it really does. It's absolutely true. We put you belong on the outside of the building, not on the inside of the building. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a sticker that you get after you become a member, after you fix some things, no matter who you are, no matter who you are no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what tomorrow holds for you and your family, this church will always be with you. We will always love you. We will always support you. And we will hold your hand to get you from that off-ramp back onto an on-ramp, back towards the person that God has called you to be. But do not for one minute think that that means that somehow that we tolerate sin. If I'm going to love you well, why am I also going to be okay with the fact that you are indulging in something that is wrecking your life, that is destroying your family? I want to come with gentleness. We want to be a gentle church. We want to love you well. And part of loving you well says that's not okay. And we need to collectively decide and individually decide that I'm going to love everyone and I'm going to trust in the freedom and the love and the, un, and, the, and the unconditional acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take the steps that I need to take to help you and to help me 
rid ourselves of these things that are so destructive. They're not beneficial. They're not constructive. They're not doing me any good. They're not doing you any good. They're not bringing God's light into this world. And they need to do it. It's just bringing destruction and death and pain. And we need to be willing to step into each other's life and to be honest about our own so that we really can become the men and women that God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, I just know there's a lot of people in this room dealing with a lot of varied things. There's a lot of shame right now, a lot of guilt, a lot of confusion, a little bit of anger. As we're just kind of processing these different aspects of our life that maybe we're indulging in and we think are just fine or the things that we're indulging in and we know are not fine. But God, I know there's there's a few of us out here, man, we're doing real damage right now to ourselves, to our friends, to our family. God, I pray for healing. I pray for a powerful work of your Holy Spirit in us not to get us just modify our behavior, but to change us from the inside. A work that only your spirit can do in us that can then give us the freedom, the courage, the strength, the power to overcome these things. And so God, I pray that we would, I pray that we would be thoughtful, that we would be considerate, that we would be gentle. And God, that we would trust your spirit so that we can see real victory in our lives. And as always, we are thankful for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, that makes all of this possible. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.